0: As the new year approaches, you may be thinking about how the past year went and what the new year will bring. Maybe you're happy with the direction your life and your career are headed, or maybe you're ready to make some changes. Well, as 2022 winds down, I understand how easy it is to get caught up in the chaos of the holidays and fall into the trap of thinking that "Ah, I'm just going to write December off as a loss. I'll just start fresh next year. Well, rather than simply taking a hiatus during the month of December, my team and I want to set you up for success when 2023 rolls around so you can consistently and sustainably take action towards your most important goals all year long. That's why we've carefully reviewed our entire podcast library of over 200 interviews to bring you what we believe are the top five best conversations that are going to help you design the more balanced, more productive, and more fulfilling and creative life that you deserve. If after listening to today's conversation, you are ready to design your plan for next year, but you need a little guidance and inspiration, we've got you covered. Simply visit optimizeyourself.me slash optimizer to learn more about what it might look like starting next year off, working together, transforming your dreams into your new reality. Without further ado, here's the second part of this five-interview series with productivity expert, Tamada Torres, the founder of Optimal Results Coaching, where we discuss how to redefine what it really means to be productive and how to better align your time with your values. You can find the original show notes for this interview at optimizeyourself.me slash episode 144. I'm here today with Tamada Torres, who is a productivity coach who helps busy professionals and entrepreneurs achieve success. And this is a huge, huge component of why you are on my show today. It's without sacrificing balance. The B word. We're going to talk a lot about that today. So, Tamada, it is a pleasure to have you on the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Zach. I'm so excited to be here.
0: Well, as I was telling you a little bit before we started to officially record, I found you, or I should say more specifically, my team member found you in a Facebook group called Happier in Hollywood that is based off of another podcast that's hosted by Liz Craft, who happens to be the sister of Gretchen Rubin. And anybody that listens to my show knows that I'm a huge fan of Gretchen Rubin and I talk about the four tendencies way more than I should have. But when my team member, Debbie, brought me or brought you to the, the table, I'm like, another productivity person, huh? Like... All right. I mean, I I guess I'll take a look, but I've just, I wasn't that excited because most productivity people are all about getting more done, being more efficient. How do I get the most out of my calendar? How do I, what's the best to-do list app? And how do I get better at calendars and Trello and this and that? And listen, I love all the shiny objects, but at the end of the day, what I tell people in my program, and I think there's so much alignment between us, I tell them, I don't want to teach you how to run on a hamster wheel faster. I'm not interested in that. I want you to be able to get the most out of your time And align it with the things that are important to you without burning out. Because I am just the quintessential, I have burned out person many, many, many times, learned those lessons, continually learning them every single day. And as soon as I heard about this idea of productivity with heart, I was like, oh, okay, now my ears are perked up and I want to learn more. And as soon as I started to dig a little deeper, I was like, man, this person is perfect. So I'm very excited to have you on the show for that reason. Uh, one quick thing that I want to mention to the audience before we go further is you don't specifically work in Hollywood and you work primarily with entrepreneurs, but I don't want anybody listening to think, oh, well, I don't know if that really applies to me then because I- I'm not an entrepreneur. My rebuttal is you are. Even if you are a freelancer that moves from one show to the next show to the next show, you still have a business. You're the CEO of that business, and that business is you. You have to have a brand. You have to manage your own time. You have to manage your expectations and manage where you're going to put your energy and your attention. So even though you might seemingly be in a different space, I want to let everybody know all of this stuff is going to apply to what you might want to accomplish next. So all that having been said, where I would actually like to start is better understanding how you became a productivity coach given that your background and your formal education is about as far away from teaching productivity as possible. So help us get to know a little bit more about you and your own journey.
1: Yeah, great question. So 2010, within days of finalizing my divorce, I learned that my father was diagnosed with a terminal cancer. And so I took my daughter who was turning three and we moved halfway across the country to be closer to my family of origin. And I left behind uh, a clinical practice, a great job, and hard, had to start fresh, piecing together work to pay the bills. Uh, one of my jobs was teaching at a technical college, and I would spend days preparing and teaching lectures and nights correcting papers and exams. I was exhausted and I didn't feel present for my daughter. And then soon uh, after my father passed away, I joined a wellness company. So, you know, fortunately I was able to be there for that year and accompany him in his final days. And I, there's no way I could ever regret the time that we had together. Um, but it meant, you know, significant transitions in my life. And so when I finally landed more of a consistent full-time job, it was in the wellness industry in a coaching capacity rather than seeing patients. And I noticed that the people that I was coaching were having similar issues with work-life balance. And I decided that I needed to figure these things out for myself in addition to helping my clients. And so I devoured all the information I could on on habits and productivity. And through that process of learning and trial and error, I came up with kind of my own methodology that I called the CLEAR method. Um, And also along the way, I discovered um, Gretchen Rubin and her four tendencies. And that was an amazing framework for me and uh, especially looking at behavior change and how do we respond to those inner and outer expectations. And that was a, a real game changer that allowed me to understand people better, communicate with them differently, provide different types of, of resources and help them kind of take their lives to the next level with a higher level of satisfaction and success, but also balance.
0: And as I understand it, you also have a background in some form of medicine, correct? That's completely unrelated to to productivity and psychology. Um, so, give me a little bit more background there, because I think there's a lot more synergy um, than people might see if they were to just look at like a LinkedIn resume.
1: Sure. So, my bachelor's is in psychology, and then I have a doctorate of naturopathic medicine, uh, which is basically integrative medicine. Uh, In California, there's lots of naturopathic doctors that practice. It's a four-year degree with the mix like conventional medical school of um, first couple years of in-class training and last couple years of clinical but in addition to learning all the conventional uh diagnostics and you know lab studies and all of that we also learn uh, advanced nutrition and botanical medicine and acupuncture and a little extra counseling or psychology um, physical manipulation homeopathy just like a, a whole nother set of of skills. Um, And so after I finished school, I ended up doing primary care and family medicine in a clinic in Phoenix for a couple years before I moved to Minneapolis. I think where the synergy comes in is really looking at people holistically.
0: And that's one of the things that I definitely want to get into in a second, because I've had numerous conversations uh, with some of the world's foremost experts, specifically in integrative medicine. Um, I'm a student of it. I'm a patient of it. It's the reason that I'm here today and still number one functioning as a human being, but number two functioning at a very high level as a human being is because of my love of integrative medicine. But I just want to step in with the elephant in the room for those that don't really understand the terms and they hear homeopathic and naturopathic. Oh, so you're like one of those people that treats people with like incense and magic crystals, right? Like that's what this is all about. Like, come on.
1: Well, unfortunately, there are people that call themselves naturopaths that got like uh, an online certificate. Fortunately, there are, uh, I think, four or five accredited universities in the US and a couple more in Canada that uh, actually provide a four-year doctorate training with the clinical rotations and meeting all of the requirements. We pass boards. So it's not so much crystals and incense, but, uh, you know, definitely we can include some aromatherapy, but I think a lot of people have that misconception that naturopathic doctors don't have a high level of training And actually around 100 years ago, there were more uh, homeopathic hospitals and clinics and universities. They just kind of fell by the wayside uh, with the advent of things like penicillin and other antibiotics and more increase in pharmacology and things like that, where people started to move towards quick fixes or more band-aid solutions, rather than looking at the root of the problem. And I think now in medicine, we're, we're going back to the source. And a lot of conventional or what's called allopathic providers are looking more at how do we treat the whole person? How do we listen to our patients? And how do we look at everything that's happening within the body, physically and mentally, and treat the root cause rather than applying band-aid solutions
0: and that's exactly where i wanted to go next i have no intention of talking about integrative medicine naturopathic medicine aromatherapy sounds great probably not going to talk too much about it here but you've been trained at a very high level to learn how to look at something holistically and find the root cause and not just treat the symptom and if we were talking about medicine Western medicine is very much about here's the issue. Here's the disease. It's my job to make you not sick. Here's a quick solution. And integrative medicine is so much more about let's look at the whole person and understand lifestyle and behavior and psychology. And all of that training, I would believe, applies equally as well to now teaching people productivity, does it not?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think especially with my approach of not just looking at where your time is going, but why and what's really important. So I talk about productivity with heart and the first step being that values clarification. And, you know, whether you feel like your, your top values are family or health, or, you know, maybe it's financial security, in which case maybe spending a lot of time working really does align with your values. And maybe that's what provides a lot of satisfaction or creativity could be a huge value for people in, in Hollywood and doing the work that you do provides a tremendous amount of satisfaction. So as a coach, I'm not here to pass judgment or say what I think people's values should be. It's like, this is very individual. I want you to better clarify what those values are. And then if you look at your calendar, or you look at your day-to-day or week-to-week schedule, and those values aren't presenting themselves somewhere, then there's a mismatch. And, and we need to bring those things into alignment where either you're realizing like, Maybe the exercise and the gym workout wasn't as important as I thought, or you're saying, no, my health needs to come first and I need to be able to better prioritize that. And, you know, same applies to whether it be family or community service, whatever that that primary value is to you or set of values.
0: Yeah, I think a big aha moment for me in my own journey, because like you, Um, And I think like many people that end up where we are, where we end up becoming coaches, whether you want to call it a life coach or a career coach or productivity coach, whatever it is, most people don't get out of college and say, this is going to be my career path. We all go through hell in our own form, and then we start to come out of it, and we learn all these new things, and the first reaction is, oh, my God, I wish I had known this. I want to tell other people this stuff. And a really big aha moment for me was very similar to what you said, is this idea of, are my values on my calendar? Because there are certain things I believe about myself as a person, they're not showing up in my day-to-day. And that misalignment was creating so much friction and stress and ultimately led to burnout because I thought I was a family man or I thought that I was prioritizing relationships. And I realized that all I did was work all the time and I was working on things that I wasn't passionate about, but man, did they pay well and they were good credits on the resume, but it got to the point where it just didn't matter. And that aha moment was big for me. So talk, let's go even a little bit deeper into this concept of getting values on the calendar and making sure they're in alignment. Cause without that, you're just a more efficient version of busy.
1: Yeah. So I think once people figure out what their top priorities are, let's say for example, it's, it's family time, but you're consistently working through what could be family dinner time, or um, maybe you're just stepping away from your computer for (laughs) 20 minutes to have a a, brief moment of face time with your family at the dinner table before kind of dragging yourself back to the computer and and diving back into work. Uh, I think one, sometimes work is an escape from other things that we don't want to be dealing with. And it's not a healthy escape. That's why some people are labeled workaholics. You know, it's it's an addiction, and they're they're using it to uh, cover up something else that's not working out. But if it's really important for you to to excel at business or your work, but also be there for your family then you have to be consistently carving out that time for your family. Um, most of us have that external accountability of work. We know that we're going to get the work done. Um, but if you think about um, your values and priorities, that's more internal accountability or internal expectations. Nobody's necessarily holding you to those values of uh, you're not showing metrics or, or KPIs how many hours did you spend with your family this week? And without that accountability, it can be really difficult to follow through. And so for, for a lot of us using our calendar can create some accountability. If we had a doctor's appointment on the calendar, we wouldn't flake out. You know, if, if we told a friend that we were going to meet them for coffee at a certain time, um, wouldn't miss that appointment. Or if you had an appointment with your, your team or your boss. So treat your family as an important stakeholder just as you would any of these other people that hold you accountable. And so if it's, if it's family dinners, maybe it's not every night. Maybe you know that you have a, a later work meeting one, one night and maybe you negotiate with your family and say, listen, I was really hoping that maybe we could have a special Friday morning breakfast or Sunday brunch or something like that. But if you see family time on the calendar and it's that placeholder, then you need to negotiate and figure out if this doesn't happen tonight, when can it happen? And so there needs to be some flexibility as well. But just having it on the calendar means that there's gonna be a conversation. And so I do the same thing we have a consistent dinner time, basically 5 p.m. every day. And then we'll do family time after, which could be going for a walk or playing some games or um, watching a show together. And my daughter's 13. So it's myself, my partner, my daughter in the household. And we just know those are the, the expectations. And that's how we've created a. Uh, consistent schedule that's also very intentional because what i'm hearing from a lot of people is that well, i see my family all the time or my partner and i are both working from home like why do we need to schedule time together like i you know i couldn't possibly see them more than i already do and it's very different to see someone in passing than to say hey you know there's this new podcast i wanted to listen to it with you tonight can we like connect after dinner and do that together or can we go for a walk together and that's intentional and that intention needs to be there. And then that means we've like cleared our schedule, we've mentally, uh, you know, cleared whatever on our mind, and we can be present with our family and connect in those moments.
0: Yeah, that, I think that the word presence is so important. And what we're talking about is the difference between quantity and quality oh, I already spend all this time. Yeah, but is it good time? Like, is it I'm sitting on the the same couch as my family, but we're all on our phones and our laptops? Or is everything turned off and we're playing a game? And there's a a really important point that you brought up that might get lost on some of my listeners because you use the term KPI. And a lot of my listeners are like, what the hell is a KPI? KPI is such an entrepreneurial term stands for key performance indicator. So you can measure things. What's my website conversion rate? What's my, my monthly recurring revenue, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And going back to this idea of calendars, one of the things that I do in my program, and I'm assuming you probably have something similar, I teach my students how to turn their calendar into a budget. I ask them to go through and look at all 24 hours and all seven days, and they need to give me the budget for their life. How much are you putting towards sleep? How much you're putting towards exercise? How much is with family? How much is with work? And that allows them to get a more holistic picture of, does this align with my values? And I didn't even think about what to do with my time because I'm sure with you as well, a client will show me their calendar. It has like one blue block Friday at 4 p.m. Well, that's a doctor's appointment. I'm like- That's it? That's the only thing on your calendar? And I'm guessing you've experienced the same.
1: Yeah, um, I actually recommend that my clients do a time audit where they're tracking 24-7 for one or ideally two weeks, at the very least, so that they can really see where their time is going. Um, the app that I like to use for that is Toggle, and a lot of people will also use it if they're doing billable hours, so they want to know exactly, you know, how much time is being spent on this project or this account. And then, you know, it's really eye-opening to see, like, wow, it looks like I actually spent uh 20 hours last week watching tv and i didn't think i had that much time and if you're in the television industry well maybe that's a good use of your time because it's it might be doing some research or maybe you tell yourself that and maybe you don't need to do 2 hours in order to do some research but i think it can be very eye opening once you start to do the tracking and then you can start to shift it's like is does this align with my priorities Um, It looks like I didn't have a single hour of time one-on-one with my partner uh, last week. Is that really conducive to having a healthy and happy relationship? Probably not for most of us. So I have people do it, you know, in the moment. And I go back and forth between having people schedule everything on their calendars versus not. And I think a lot of it depends on just the, the individual and what works for them. Um, if you can proactively calendar and schedule everything, like my calendar is my to-do list. So the things that I want to do are showing up in my calendar at the time that's most conducive to doing them. But I think we also find that it's pretty hard to 100% stick to something knowing that tasks can take longer or other things can come up. But the more we plan, the more likely we are to follow through and get more done. And then the idea at the end of the day is that so that you can close down your laptop and then connect with your family, make time for relationships and self-care, which is just as important. Because if we're not recharging our own batteries, then what do we have to give the next day at work or for our families or ourselves.
0: You had me at my calendar is my to-do list. As soon as you said that, I'm like, oh yeah, you and I are kindred spirits because I have an entire lesson that's called that. And boy, does that freak out creative people. As soon as they know that they have to schedule their time, but, but you don't understand. I just, I need to work when the creativity strikes, when, when inspiration strikes. It's like, for me, creativity strikes about 8 a.m. every single morning because I don't give myself any other choice. What I have found with my clientele, and uh, I'm guessing you found the same, is for people that are really against this idea of calendaring because they want to be free, they always tell me the same thing. I have so much freedom because I'm now using my calendar it's it's the craziest paradox have you experienced that as well
1: well i am an upholder and so my motto is discipline is my freedom and it was it was a game changer for me to realize that not everybody thinks like me and not everybody operates like me. So-
0: Frankly, just about everybody else doesn't operate like you. You're very much in the minority, <laughs> myself included, because I'm the vicious combination of questioner and rebel. One of the reasons I have the podcast and I go against the grain, asking exactly, questions yeah. to do everything, everything uh, that other people are not doing, right? But uh, upholder, I can I can see how the calendar and the discipline would be your freedom.
1: Yeah, it works really well for me, but I had to understand that Different things work for different people, and most people do not want or need as much structure as I want and need. Uh, My partner's a rebel, so getting him to calendar things is really difficult. But I understand that appealing to his identity is the key strategy for rebels. So when it comes to appealing to his desire to be a good parent or a good partner. He is all on board. And so he's accepted the fact that there are gonna be some date nights on our calendar or some family times or family walks on the calendar. And um, as much as he initially resisted, I think he's really seen the benefit.
0: Well, as a questioner and a rebel, I can tell you I hated the idea. Like just the mere thought of my calendar telling me what to do and not only telling me what to do, but all day long, like no way was that going to work for me because I was Mr. Creativity when inspiration struck. And that was at 8 p.m. some nights, 9 p.m. other nights. And it was just go with the flow and work for hours and hours and hours and go back and do it the next day until I completely burned out. But then I started to realize that Like you said, going back to identity, my identity was that I want to create work that impacts others and do it successfully, and I realized that as somebody that was diagnosed with adult onset ADD, I couldn't do that anymore without structure. And that's when the calendar created freedom for me, because as soon as I was done with things, I could disconnect and I can unwind, which I couldn't do before because 24-7, I had to be achieving the next thing. And I still struggle with that to this day. I didn't say I'm a recovered workaholic. I'm a recovering workaholic, and it will be a perpetual process. But I find that if it's on the calendar and I get it done, it's so much easier to say, all right. I'm out for the day. I did what I could do. Now I can disconnect and be present.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So for uh, the rebel in you, the calendar allowed you to be your best self, and which is aligned with your identity, to, to be creative, to be present for your family. And as long as that makes sense to you as a questioner, that makes sense. That there's a good reason to do this. And um, it also creates that freedom for you at the end of the day. So lots of rebels will say, yeah, I'm willing to do this, this, and this. And I know the sooner that I get this done, then the sooner I have the opportunity to do this other stuff that I also love.
0: My sincerest apologies for the interruption, but if you're a creative professional who spends long hours at your workstation, not only is the following promo not an interruption, but listening has the potential to change your life. Because working with a topo mat underneath you at a height adjustable workstation is a game changer. Let's learn a little bit more from Ergo driven co-founder and CEO Kit Perkins, creator of the Topo mat. The Topo mat is the first anti-fatigue mat designed specifically for standing desks. The real benefit of a standing desk is movement. We found mat so uh, you and I my friend one edit station at a time are going to change the world I like it that's a utopian vision I can get on board with if you're a creative professional looking for a simple and affordable way to stay active energetic and focused while spending long hours at your height adjustable workstation I can't stress enough how important it is to have the right mat underneath you which is why I continue to share the topo mat as my number one product recommendation To learn more about the Topo Mat and purchase yours, visit optimizeyourself.me slash Topo. That's T-O-P-O. So where I want to go a little bit deeper now, again, is this idea of presence, because I really want to redefine what productivity means. I think productivity is very individual, but we have this collective feeling as a society that productivity is just getting more things done. And he who has the most accomplishments and the most crossed off of their to-do list when they die wins. I'm not a believer in that at all. I'm all about presence. And there's something that you said in another interview that I listened to where, again, I said, oh, yeah, you you and I are cut from the same cloth. You said that balance is something you practice. It's not something you attain, which is very similar to what I tell my students. I don't want you to work towards work-life balance and think that it's this 50-50 scale. I want you to work towards work-life presence where you're equally present with your work, equally present with your spouse or your partner or your kids or your hobbies or your passions. But it's this thing that you have to constantly work towards. So talk to me a little bit more about this idea of balance is not something that you can attain.
1: Sure. So I think one thing that I found for myself a couple of years ago was that it was really helpful for me to start my day very intentionally. So I would get out of bed and start my day with a meditation practice and kind of some intention setting and think about what's involved in my day ahead and um, what kinds of meetings or interactions do I have? What parts of myself do I need to bring to the table in these different situations and what's really important? And over and over the two things that, that would come up were presence and connection. And the way I see that is, during my work day, I want to have the presence so I can do my work and be focused and then also my presence to connect with my clients and the people that I serve. And at the end of the day I want to have that same presence for that same connection but it's going to be with my family, with my friends, with my loved ones. And I, I like how I'm happy in Hollywood they talk about sometimes we have seasons of sacrifice. And there's going to be days or weeks or months where we cannot set aside as much time as we would ideally like to have for our families, for our relationships, or for our self-care. But these need to be kind of finite periods of time. If you find that you're stuck in a job where you know 24/7 you are thinking about work you're breathing work and you can't escape it and this is going on consistently for months something has to give and if and if you don't put the brakes on your body will your body your health will start to decline you're going to notice that your performance is going to suffer you're going to be exhausted you're going to be irritable and you're probably not going to do your best work And that's sometimes people need to have a a wake-up call before they can actually put their foot down. Um, And I know that when it comes to production with movies and things like that, things are gonna be really intense and fast-paced during periods of time. And then there might be times where you're working Very little, depending on on where the cycle is in the project or or what your role is. And so I think that's where the idea of, in terms of balance, trying to balance, being in that state of balancing, but it's not something we ever completely achieve. And sometimes balance means, well, work's going to be a little bit more of a priority during this period of time. And then when I have more downtime, then, you know, it's going to be a lot more family centered and we have the more flexible we can be kind of like a, a strong willow tree, the less likely we are to topple.
0: And I think one of the the most important parts of actually being able to make this balance happen on a recurring regular basis is you have to be really good at helping others set proper expectations, just like you set your own expectations talking about these tendencies. And an example would be, for me, the difference between work-life balance and work-life presence is, well, I can only work 40 hours a week because I need to make sure that my family gets 40 hours a week, as opposed to, well, I'm working on Cobra Kai right now and I'm in the trenches, but I've communicated to my family, this is gonna be a really tough month. But just know that when I get through this month, there's a whole wide open space on my calendar and we're going to plan a trip and we're going to do this thing for spring break. But just know right now, this is where my head is. And I didn't used to do that. I just assumed that they would figure it out and they would see what I'm busy and they wouldn't bother me. That doesn't work so well. But as soon as I communicated the expectation, I was so afraid. I remember when uh, I took the job on Cobra Kai, uh, the second season, and I said to my wife, like, I it's, I might have a really couple uh, tough months and I was really nervous. And she's like, What's the big deal? Like, we've been through this before. Just let me know. Just talk to me about it and we will figure it out. And that communication and setting the expectations has made all the difference in the world. The work is still hard, but there's so much less friction and stress behind it.
1: I agree. Yeah. Having that communication and setting the expectations is really important. I think there it can be harder to create those boundaries when we're working from home or Uh, right now we're effectively living at work. If your, your computer is in your home office, which might be in your living room or kitchen or even your bedroom, and it can be really hard to step away and for the work life to not feel pervasive. You know, you might, you know, pass by your laptop when you're technically considering yourself off the clock. And just having that visual can kind of seep into your psyche and the rest of the day. So I really encourage people to find ways to set limits But if you have to set an out of office reminder, just so people know that you're just you're not answering your email right now and you'll get to it at a reasonable time the next day that can be really helpful. Uh, We used to have our commutes as a buffer at the end of our day and we have some time to decompress. And uh, if you're just like walking out of your home office into the living room with your family, that can be a difficult transition. So if you can create some sort of ritual, like I I have a a coaching colleague, uh, he and his wife at five o'clock, they do a dance party. And they just like dance out. They're both working from home, but this is like symbolic of our workday is done and now we can have fun and now we can connect. Um, Other people have told me they'll leave the house and take a couple of laps around the block. It's like they've created their own Commute, or you know, hop on the elliptical and do a little bit of exercise. So something that can um, put a pause and time and space between you and and the work that's ending and the transition to to home life. Is really helpful, and if you can, like, turn off your computer or put put away your computer. You don't want to have it visually interfering with you being present for everything else that's important the rest of the evening.
0: First of all, the the fact that you even said, "Wait, I cannot respond to my email." <gasps> oh my god, that's terrifying. You, you, I can do that. You mean I don't have to respond at one a.m. and get them what they need at two thirty a.m. just because I'm home and my computer is down the hall? Like that seems insane. How dare you? But here's the second thing I want to bring up. And I know that my audience is thinking this right now. you said it twice, this idea of disconnecting at 5 p.m. And the response from my audience is 5 p.m. That's the middle of the day in Hollywood. Are you insane? Not possible. So for those that are not entrepreneurs that could manage their own schedule and work from home when it is about being in an office or virtually being in an office or being on a set, I think it's even more important to learn work-life presence versus the balancing of the numbers because most people best case scenario are done at seven or 8 PM as opposed to 5 PM.
1: And there's still different ways that you can have flexibility within that. So, um, yes, I work more of a traditional nine to five, except for two nights a week. I work until eight thirty and seven 30. And that's when I have evening clients. Um, but then I have my mornings free to do other things. And so if you know that you need to consistently be working until seven or eight, then maybe you're building in some, some other time in your day. Um, if, if you're single and it's just about making time for yourself, maybe you're doing that in the morning, or maybe you're taking a longer lunch. There's nothing saying that everybody should live a nine to five schedule if that's not what your work environment really demands. However, I don't think that we should glorify this exhaustion and wear it as a badge of honor because we're working 60, 80 hours. Most of us cannot be that productive and produce really good work 60, 80 hours a week consistently. And so I know you talk about working smarter and not harder. So how do we take consistent breaks? Uh, How do we make time for self-care, get the nutrition that we need, the sleep, the exercise, the time to connect? All of these things are really important. Um, I also talk to people that have young kids and- you know, maybe they really want to get their kids down to sleep at eight o'clock and, and be available to read a bedtime story and all of that, um, then then make that a priority. And if you find that you have to log in later, then that's OK. Don't feel guilty about it. But maybe that means that you're starting your workday later. So there's nothing saying that we have to have this nine to five uh, time frame. If you're familiar with Laura Vanderkam who writes a lot about time tracking. And she wrote a book called, I Know How She Does It, I think is what it's called. And she did time studies with over a hundred female executives that had children. So, you know, the whole myth of women can't have it all. You know, you can't be an executive and have kids and make over a hundred thousand dollars and, you know, be in the C-suite and be uh, um, successful, quote unquote. And looking at these women's time logs, she found that they have figured out ways to be very consistent and also flexible at the same time. So some of the commonalities were that uh, these women often uh, front-loaded their work, where they're doing more work Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and less work Thursday and Friday. Maybe they're traveling for work, and those would be their travel days. But then they're only working half days on Thursday and Friday. Or maybe they're uh, leaving work at three p.m. to pick up kids, and then they're logging back in two or three hours at night. And the idea is, you know, don't feel guilty about having to log in at night, especially if that afforded you an opportunity to prioritize time with your kids and your family while everybody is awake. And so it's more about How can you be flexible and not try to follow the standards or or the should or the expectations of other people being clear about what you expect for yourself? And like you said, communicating that with your family.
0: And all of that sounds great. If I have control over my time and I can maintain the flexibility, but what if I'm working in the Hollywood machine that does expect me to wear my exhaustion, sleep deprivation badge of honor, not just on my sleeve, but tattooed on my forehead. It's the first thing I'm going to say to everybody every day. Oh man, I was here so late last night. How about you? I didn't even go home. I slept on my couch. Good for you, man. Like I'm, first of all, I'm over it. And everybody that listens to the show knows that I'm over it. But I think a lot of people are going to come back to what you said and say, but but I can't have that flexibility. I can't do that with the way that my job is structured. So I have a response for them, but I'm curious what your response would be.
1: Well, I think one, the culture is shifting. And I think in in a world now where, where most of us are forced to work from home, people are seeing more of the value of, of creating some balance and having some flexibility and adjusting expectations. And so I, I think there is, perhaps less of that pride on, on the exhaustion. Um, We don't have the same expectation of FaceTime. You know, it used to be like, you know, the the person who stays in the office until eight o'clock or nine o'clock at night, or the person that's there first, first thing in the morning, like those are the ones that are the hard workers and the ones that get promoted. And I think now we have a better understanding that there can be a lot of flexibility and, you know, if you're not a morning person, don't try to get to yourself to work at 7 a.m. or start your workday at, at 7 a.m. There's actually something called a, a chronotype, which means like we have our own types. Some of us are naturally uh, morning birds and some of us are actually night owls. And that was survival for our, our tribes, you know, eons ago when they actually needed someone who was a natural night owl to stay up and, and protect the families, the community. And so there's a real reason why some of us are built different. And you shouldn't try to, to put yourself in that box. Um, and so if you're a night owl and you're trying to be available from 6 a.m. and then you know continue to do your work until midnight, like that's a recipe for burnout. But I've also listened to some of your podcasts and I know that you are like the, the health and fitness person uh, in the teams that you work with. And I would love to hear how you've been able to say like, no, this isn't the way to go. And I'm not gonna succumb to this peer pressure of working myself to exhaustion. And I'm gonna continue to put my own health and my self-care first. So I'm gonna turn it around and and see how you've been able to make that happen in Hollywood.
0: I love that you did that because I actually was gonna turn the podcast on myself anyway. So it's funny that you did that. You and I were, were totally on the same page. I think that it's easier said than done until you have a certain level of success. When I was younger, I didn't do that. I wasn't Mr. Health and Fitness. I did wear the exhaustion badge on my forehead. I was the first in and I was the last out every day. And I could work anybody into the ground. I grew up on a farm in Northern Wisconsin. So we have have that uh, that Midwestern work ethic between us. So when I came to California and all these, what uh, people where I grew up would call the city kids, right? I'm like, oh my God, I can work these people into the ground. And I did until... I was acquainted with burnout and depression and suicidal depression and massive like debilitating anxiety to the point of my girlfriend at the time, now my wife said, do you mind taking out the trash? And I broke down in tears because it was too overwhelming to do. So the short answer is I didn't used to do it the way that I'm doing it now. But what I've learned is that if you can back up your expectation of, I wanna put my health first, I wanna prioritize sleep, if you can back it up with really good work, it's a lot easier to make that sell. So it with uh, Cobra Kai, for example, really difficult show, really time consuming. But on average, I've now been on the show for two and a half seasons. I don't work more than eight hours a day. And that's not because it's an easy show. It's because I've learned how to better manage my time. And not only manage my time, but manage my energy, which is largely based on understanding my chronotype. So I love that you brought up chronotypes because that's another thing that I want people to understand about productivity. It's not just time management. It's energy management. And I was always working at the wrong time of day. I mean, like when I look back, what my, if I had tracked a calendar a decade ago, it's like, what was I thinking? I was doing all the wrong things until I realized that there are certain times of day that I'm super productive and other times of day I'm useless to this day. That's true. Everybody thinks that I'm, you know, burning it 24 seven, like, Oh no, I've got a window of about five or six hours where I crush it. The other 18 hours of the day, I am a heap of dirty laundry. I just do not get a whole lot done, and there's I spend every single day watching TV for one to two hours, either research or spending time with family because my son loves TV, so that's intentional time. Every day at about 7.30 or 8, hey, Dad, you want to watch another episode of this show? That's really important to him, and he looks forward to it, and it's just me sitting around and doing nothing, but I'm doing it intentionally. But what I will like, and this is a really big thing that I impart on my students and my clients that I want to share is I think the the number one kind of piece that brings it all together is setting expectations. When I take a job, I make it very clear that I'm not going to be there 24-7. So in my meeting for Cobra Kai, which I had set up because I found the show and I wanted to work on it, and I knew that it was my dream show, I was willing to say no if they wanted me available 24-7. So I asked them right in the interview, like, what are your expectations? What's your workflow? Do you guys just want to send me notes at 9 p.m. and expect I'm going to turn around by the next morning? Like. Am I going to be able to go see my kids spring recital if I need to take a morning off? And I wanted to gauge what their reaction was. And if you see this friction and this anxiety, like, well, aren't you going to be totally dedicated to helping us create our vision? That's no longer a good fit for me because I've been in that environment. So I make sure before I take a gig, I've set the expectation that if you want me, you're going to get the best of me, but it's not going to be in quantity of time. It's in quality of time. To this day, nobody has ever objected to the very few hours that I work because I meet my deadlines and the work is at or above expectation, usually above. But that's what it takes to prioritize that health and fitness is you have to be willing to say no to things that don't align with it.
1: Yeah, it sounds like you've been really able to advocate for yourself and your priorities. And I agree, sometimes you do have to be At a certain level in your career in order to be able to do that. And so when I first started coaching, I thought I would be working more uh, with with women in their 30s, 40s, 50s, maybe older kids or more established in their careers. And I found that I was talking to a lot of mostly women in their twenties and thirties who are super focused on their career trajectory. You know, they, they may or may not be partnered yet. They're not even thinking about having kids yet. They're just like, you know, and in the grind and like, how, how do I get up to the top? Like, how do I just do everything I need to do in order to, to show myself and, um, you know, compete against everybody else and, and get to where I want to be so that eventually I can take a breath and slow down. And, you know, unfortunately, sometimes you do have to put a lot of front end work in, in order to get to the status where you have enough power to kind of advocate for yourself. You're, you're able to, to bargain a little bit more. It's like if they want you badly enough, then they're going to say, okay, yeah, that we can do that. Um, but I think you're also right in in terms of uh, doing your best work, finding out the time of day that works best for you to do that work. Because uh, I, I want to say maybe it's Parkinson's law or something like that, that the, the work will expand to fill the time that we have. And so if you give yourself eight hours to do a task, it will take eight hours. But if you give yourself four hours to do a task and sometimes for question artists, it's really helpful to be like time limited. You're going to spend this much time. You're not going to continue to do all these kinds of research because you could, you have four hours to knock this out and you can do some really solid quality work during that period of time. Um, and so I'm a big advocate of not just time blocking, but like, um, consistent breaks doing like a modified Pomodoro for me, it's 50 minutes of focus and 10 minutes of break that's worked really well for me because I know if I think about, Oh, I want to add something to my Amazon cart or I want to check my email or, you know, check what's going on here and there in social media look, I have 20 minutes left in my uh, Pomodoro. So let me just continue to stay focused. And when that time's up, then if I want, I can take a look at these things. Usually the urge has passed. So I'm, I'm less likely to look at it anyways. And then when it's break time, great, I'm going to go to the living room and visit with my cats. And I'm going to grab some tea. Uh, Maybe I'll even go outside and get a little bit of fresh air. And then I'm refreshed and I can go back to my my segments of focus time. Um, And so one of the strategies that I recommend for people is if you can identify the times that work best for you, if you can block it out on your calendar. I know not everybody's calendar is respected and we don't always have full control over the calendars. But um, for me, that means getting up before everybody else or um, because I'm a morning person um, or getting some work done because I'm an entrepreneur and I also work in the corporate world. Um, I'm logging in to do my private coaching business stuff before I'm logging in for my corporate work. And that works really well for me. I'm getting a lot of stuff done before my family wakes up. And then after dinner, it's time to wind down. I mean, maybe we are going to watch an episode of Cobra Kai together. As you know, we're already caught up. So we're just waiting for the next season As you to should drop. be,
0: by the way, <laughs> as you should be.
1: Uh, yeah, I think we we binged that fairly quickly because we could not wait for it when it came out in January. And we haven't found anything else to watch since, honestly, we're always struggling. Like, what, what are we going to watch for family movie night? We're usually going to some old classics, uh, like rewatching actually Karate Kid and stuff like that. Um, but in terms of, you know, in the evening time, because I was able to get a lot done during the day, I don't have any sense of guilt to spend time with my family, play some cards, go for a walk, or watch a movie, watch some TV, just relax and hang out. And I, because I hold myself to such high standards and because as an entrepreneur, we could literally work all the time. I have to set limits for myself. And I've also shared these limits with my family. So it's like after dinner, unless I have this crazy project deadline, I'm really probably not going to log into my computer. I'm not going to look at work stuff and I'm going to do some pleasure reading. I'm going to do some yoga Um, just, just quality time with my family or downtime for myself and setting those limits for myself has helped me to not, to resist the urge to go back to work. And that's been really helpful. I also recommend having some kind of like a Sabbath where at least 24 hours in your week, you are taking some time off. So, uh, Friday night is when we do like our family takeout. And that's just kind of a fun way for us to end the week. Um, I might log back into work and write a blog or, you know, take care of some um, business expenses or finances Saturday morning. And then by the time my family's up, we're doing activities outside. And then Sunday, I probably won't do any work until maybe the evening where I'm starting to think about what are my appointments on the calendar? What do I need to get ready for the day? But a lot of weekends, like from midday Saturday to almost Sunday evening, I can be completely offline. And sometimes I'll forget where my phone is, um, which can be annoying for people, like at least my friends who are trying to get a hold of me, but I feel free to do that. And I've also had that pattern and set those expectations. And so people kind of know that's, that's, that's where I'm at.
0: I have spent almost 10 years now raving about how much I love my topo mat. and I have finally discovered what I now consider the topo mat of desk chairs, the Core 360. The Core 360, spelled QOR, is designed to keep me constantly moving while seated in an upright and balanced position. To learn more about how it works, let's hear from Core 360 founder, Dr. Turner Osler, about why he created the Core 360 active sitting chair.
1: When you sit badly, you sit badly for before-
0: To learn more and purchase what I consider to be the topomat of desk chairs, please go to optimizeyourself.me/slash core360. That's optimizeyourself.me/slash QOR360. Well, I gotta say that as a disciplined upholder that's a morning person, must be nice that sounds so much fun man that just must be so simple because i'm a questioner rebel that uh, my chrono type by default is a night owl so i was just a mess of productivity doing all the things at all the wrong times like i said um but again I'm I mean felt- for
1: who because you can be super productive after hours and maybe that's after your kids go to bed you know, like it, doesn't that work for you?
0: It, well, I've, I've now since switched my, I, I don't want to say I've switched my chronotype, but I've been able to shift my circadian rhythms because Good it warning. wasn't in alignment with both my family's needs, my client's needs and the, the needs of my job. So I've had to learn how to shift all of those things. That's um, hard. But, e- but even before I knew anything about upholder versus questioner versus obliger versus rebel. And for anybody it's like, what are they talking about? I probably should have said earlier, listen to my podcast with Gretchen Rubin. We're going to put it in big, bold letters and stars and asterisks and all kinds of emojis so you find it. Um, It is required listening for anybody that wants to learn more about themselves and about productivity. But I found that I I would spend all day long doing nothing out of, number one, fear, procrastination, or exhaustion. So I would spend all day long in my office. This was when I was editing the TV show Burn Notice. It was my first really big gig in television. It was my big break, my career changer, and I show up, I couldn't do anything. Because this this sense of perfectionism that I had to reach, in my mind, my expectation of perfectionism had to be reached. I just had my first kid, and I was exhausted all day long, and the only thing that got me to do good work was the fear of getting fired if I didn't meet my deadlines. So I would do nothing for days, and then I would let the work pile up. And starting about 8 p.m. when I got home, 8 p.m. to midnight, I would just go, like just the craziest levels of deep focus and flow. And that worked, but it wasn't a long-term solution. That's when I realized I had to figure out how, how to rewire all of this. Um, so it was just kind of a, the perfect storm of doing all the things the wrong way until I figured out how do I get all these expectations to align?
1: Yeah, well, it sounds like you've had a lot of insights and you figured out how to make things more sustainable for you.
0: Uh, let, let me put it this way. I'm going to stop you there because it's the perfect segue. I'm figuring it out. To say that I've figured it out would be a vast uh, overstatement. And I say that, Because one of the things that I wanted to do fairly quickly, um, I always like to put people on the hot seat to really dive into deeper topics. And I want to put myself on the hot seat, which I don't do often. But here's why. I think that you're wired very similar to me, and I have a sense that you're very honest and open with people. And I wanna share with you where I'm stuck right now and it's the way that I've been wired my whole life. And once again, I'm recognizing if this is something that I don't really curb and get in check, it could lead to, to bigger issues. One of the things that I talk about very often that I believe is the absolute root cause of burnout as we've been talking about is setting improper expectations. Just because I'm more productive and I'm better at managing my time and I've learned deep focus and flow, The problem doesn't go away for being a recovering workaholic. And the problem for me is learning how to set realistic expectations. So let me give you a picture of what's going on in my life as we speak. And what I need to learn is how to be okay with not meeting all of these expectations. So, number one, as you already know, I'm editing four episodes of a 10-episode season of Cobra Kai, literally as we speak, double-checking to make sure I don't have a producer looking for me on Slack while recording. So, that's one thing I'm doing, which for most, that's a lot. That's kind of it. That's all-consuming. Cobra Kai is my side hustle. So… Beyond that, I also have two kids. And of course, those kids are home and they're being homeschooled. And I'm doing my best to help them with the math homework or, um, you know, the piano homework. And I think twice while we've been recording one, I heard my daughter screaming at my son. Hopefully the mic didn't pick that up. And number two, she was knocking on the door looking for me. So that's another area. And I'm doing my best to be a present father and watch TV with my son every evening and make sure that I can go to any and all of the events and be around during the weekends. So that's another area. Another part of it is that I'm running, not currently, but I have a, a, a fully-fledged coaching practice. And right now I have like 72 active clients of a pool of uh, several hundred. And those active clients are people that I work with for two to three mornings every single week. So I start my week, I coach, I work with people one-on-one, small groups, I mentor them, I help them through these major career transitions. Then I take that hat off, then I put the Cobra Kai hat on. But wait, there's more if you've listened to the show, you may already know this, but I have spent the last three years training to be on American Ninja Warrior.
1: Yeah, that's amazing.
0: And I got on the show. And as of people listening to this, this will have happened in the past, but as of you recording this live, I'm going to be running the course in front of an entire TV crew in about 11 days.
1: Oh my goodness. Wow. That's, that's great news. I didn't realize that. That's yeah, so I've, I've, I've
0: mentioned it in a, in a it's, it's not something that I've kept private, but it's not something that I'm like screaming from the rooftops either. Um, but the point being, that's what my week looks like right now, where it's a combination of making sure I'm a present father, I'm managing my 72 clients, I'm making sure that I'm meeting all my deadlines of my four episodes on Cobra Kai. And just yesterday, I happened to drive all around Los Angeles, having two different two-hour training sessions to get ready for American Ninja Warrior. Not sustainable,
1: no, this sounds like a season of sacrifice.
0: It is. This is absolutely meat in the trenches. And it's funny, one of my favorite lines from movies, and it's one of those more obscure ones, but I picture it every day. There's a line from Home Alone 2 where Macaulay Culkin, right before the the big uh, Act 3 climax, he lifts up the brick to throw it through the window of the toy store. And he says, well, guess it's another Christmas in the trenches. And he throws the brick. And every day I'm thinking just another day in the trenches. And that's where I am now. And again, it's not sustainable. And this is not the way my life is all the time. But as soon as I got the call from American Ninja Warrior, I'm like, all right, it's trench warfare for the next six weeks. But I also know that one of my tendencies, and I know that Debbie who connected us and anybody else on my team knows that one of the the major fallacies for me is I always set improper expectations Thinking I can accomplish more than is feasible or realistic. So on that note, what recommendations might you have?
1: So there's so much there. One, (laughs) it sounds like this is time limited. And, And once you do your event, then things can relax a little bit, right? So you're on the home stretch now.
0: Yeah, I've got to be about a week and a half before recording the show is over. But knowing me, there's always going to be another thing. It's not like, oh, well, in 11 days, my life goes back to normal. I just fill it with another thing. And uh, I have a, a, an editor in the business that is, uh, was an assistant editor of mine for a long time. She's now made the, the transition. But she said to me at one point, it was when I was uh, producing and directing a documentary film that, again, I was doing in my free time. And as soon as I finished it, even before I finished it, I started this podcast that was was like seven years ago now. And she's like, Could you not just take a break? Like, can't you just not be doing four things at a time? And I'm like, Oh, I actually can't. So I always know there's going to be something else. As soon as I'm done shooting American Ninja Warrior, I'm going to fill the gap with something else. And I'm learning how do I be okay with not having to do that all the time.
1: So one of my questions is what suffers as a result?
0: Suffers as a result of
1: of having so much on
0: your plate? I would say that the biggest thing that suffers would be the version of me when I'm not actively turned on. When I show up at work, I'm engaged, I'm present, I'm focused. When I get on the ninja course or when I do my training, I'm there, I'm focused. But as soon as I allow myself to turn the switch off, I'm just, I'm useless. Like my when you had said you kind of have this one day a week that becomes a buffer, that's my Saturdays, but my Saturdays isn't energetically going to this activity or taking care of this around the house. It's just oh, for twenty four hours and as long as I have that, I usually recover, and the rest of the week is good. But what if it what if it didn't have to be that way? What if I could have energy and not feel like I need twenty four hours a day to collapse and be useless
1: so it sounds to me like maybe it's worthwhile. Like everything that you're striving for, when you're trying, you talked about filling this gap. Like what is this need that you're trying to fulfill and is all of this drive and and all of this effort, is it worthwhile? And my sense is that it is. That you get so much satisfaction from the way you drive and push yourself the other six days of the week that it is perhaps worth the time that you need to recover and you are already performing at the level that most people can't. You're already doing the level of work that would be equivalent to two or three people. And if you are not satisfied with that, then you have to ask yourself why? And at what cost would it be to yourself to, to drive yourself further than you are Um, or not allow yourself that decompression time.
0: That's an interesting viewpoint, because I would say that uh, my rebuttal as of the way things are today, I am completely satisfied with all of it. Like, it it is both exhausting and energizing. And when you said, like, doing the work of two or three people, I've said to so many people, I wouldn't wish my calendar on my worst enemy, but I love it. Because I'm getting so much out of everything, but at the same time, there's still a part of me, and I've actually done extensive psychoanalysis and therapy to dig into this. There's a part of me that feels like I'm never doing enough. Somebody looks at the website, the coaching program, oh, it's so amazing the impact you're having on the industry. And my first thought is, yeah, but I could be doing more. I'm not doing enough. That's the machine that drives me. And that, if, if I'm not very careful about that and I'm not hyper aware of that voice, that's what leads me to the path to burnout.
1: I think we all have that nagging should of something that should be better. We, you know, we should prioritize more this as a parent, we should do this better. Uh, I really should update my website. I think that's the case for a lot of us. Like, why have I neglected my website? Um, But, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't really help us to be more satisfied with our lives. And um, as you may have heard in that other podcast, what's, sometimes that dissatisfaction that we feel that helps to drive us really helps us to accomplish a lot. And perhaps if you were ever to get to the point where you felt like everything was just satisfying, you would be bored and ultimately dissatisfied. So I think you are someone who needs this inherent dissatisfaction. I bet a lot of your life is very satisfying. There's just that like, you know, 20% that you're continuing to, to push towards because that gives you satisfaction, like not settling for less, you know, striving for excellence. That is your MO and, and you need that. And you wouldn't be who you are without that. I think, um, it becomes problematic when we, when we have this nagging should like, well, why aren't I as effective on my seventh day? Or, you know, because on the seventh day we rest, <laughs> like you you need to recharge your batteries so you can continue to be effective. If you, if there is something else happening, like, well, you know, on that seventh day, I'm just irritable and um, I just binge eat and nobody wants to be around me, then that's problematic. But if it's just like, just needing some rest, just needing some decompression, you probably just need to give yourself permission because I think probably the rest of the world has. They probably said, Zach is doing plenty.
0: Well, it's funny because the the what you just described is not so long ago in my past. Let's put it that way. The I'm exhausted, I'm irritable, I'm binge eating, stay away from me. That's not me 10 years ago. That's probably me one to two years ago, and it was one of the areas where I probably was the most dissatisfied. But when you said 20%, I would say that number right now for me is maybe 5%. Like how much of my life am I really dissatisfied with and I need to make a change and I need to dig in and figure this out? It's like 5%. But what got me here is that number was like 95% about five years ago. And I've told this story to, to my audience before, and I'm not going to go into it too much, but I at least want to link to an article that I wrote that started all of this. It was called, I was tired of putting my kids to bed via FaceTime every night. And I was working on Empire at the time, which was, uh, it was the first season, number one show, all these, you know, breaking these huge ratings records, cultural phenomenon. And I spent months on end putting my kids to bed via FaceTime. And I was over it. And I just said, I'm so dissatisfied with getting to the rung on the ladder that I've worked so hard to get to. Who am I? I completely lost my sense of identity because I my identity was completely wrapped up in my profession. I didn't have the identity or the values as being a good father. I wanted to be, but all I was was working all the time, and I was really good at what I did. I knew that. I had the confidence that I'm really good at what I do, but if I take that away and I don't want to do it anymore, then who the hell am I as a human being? So I was at 95%. Now I work just as hard, but with the level of satisfaction, it's just more, man, I need some sleep as opposed to I'm burned out and I need to totally fix my life. And I've, I've been in both places.
1: Yeah. It sounds like you've made great progress. And I can see also, um, as a rebel, how much your identity is important to you. And as a questioner, how much you seek to customize, to make everything work for you. And you're, you're doing better than 99.9% of us. So um, you're probably never going to be satisfied and that's probably okay. And it's probably going to be really hard to say it's okay to not be satisfied. Um, and, and you probably, nobody else can even give you permission for that because it has to come from within. But it sounds like if you are as satisfied with your life and how you're spending your time, there's maybe not a whole lot left to
0: tweak. Yeah, but I but I need <laughs> I need something to fix. I need something to dare I say optimize. Um, <laughs> but that it's just I I this is totally going off the beaten path. But I just had the weirdest memory. Um, It was, I think it must've been 2007 or 2008. I'd started my own business and I was in my mid to late twenties, taking out six figures worth of debt and buying equipment and hiring employees because I was so tired of doing things the way that people told me I had to do them. So I was going to do it differently because I'm a rebel. And it was so stressing me out and I couldn't figure out why I was making all these decisions and how I got in this hole. And I remember my dad sitting me down because he's very much into personal development and reading about all this stuff. Um, And he's like, what's the script? What's the thing in your head that's driving you? What, like, if if you had to pick one thing that applies to everything, and I realized it was one question, there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a better way that I can do this or that or the other thing. And that, I think, has gotten me where I am, but it's also gotten me into the deepest, darkest holes, because in, in addition to being a recovering workaholic, I'm also a recovering perfectionist. And that can be a trap that a lot of people fall into. And I I think that's where I want to close it is this idea. And this is one of the most important lessons I've learned a lot from my ninja training, but also from all the other things I've learned about productivity and mindsets and Gretchen Rubin and all these other things is speaking to this idea of progression, not perfection.
1: That's exactly what I was going to say. Gretchen Rubin would say progress over perfection. And I agree with that. Uh, it's, it's difficult when you're a perfectionist, you want everything to be done the right way, but I think I'm a recovering perfectionist as well. And I used to have a lot of analysis paralysis because I lean a questioner and it just wasn't worth the time and energy that I was putting to try to do something just so. And I had to get to the point where it's like, this is, this is as good as it's going to be, or it's good enough given the time that I have and, and the energy that makes sense to put forth with this. And it's good to have some level of dissatisfaction and continue to push ourselves, but we also need to reflect on how far we've come and what we've accomplished and what our other priorities are so that we can continue to have balance and recharge our batteries and be able to bring our best selves to the next day for our family, for ourselves, and, and for our work.
0: Yeah, I think that reflection is a big key for me. That's something that I'm always actively working on because I am always about what's next. What haven't I accomplished? And I've had to learn how to develop the skill and more importantly, the habit of reflecting, like it's got to be on the calendar that I reflect on what I have gotten done. Otherwise, all I see are the tasks on the to-do list or the the time blocks on the calendar that are yet to come. But then, if I force myself to rifle through the last month of my time blocks, like, damn, I got some stuff done. I'm excited about that.
1: Yeah, and that's a great way to do that. Like I I love um, Chris Gillibo's annual review. Where you spend some time, not I mean it's like a self-assessment. So you're looking at everything you accomplished. And like for me to go through my entire calendar for the year, I'm like, wow, I did you know this many talks or this many events or accomplished this and that. I created my first course online that was amazing. Like I, I learned so much. And you know, this is what I want to be doing for the next year, but even on a micro level having a nightly gratitude practice has been huge for me because every day I'm reflecting on not just what I accomplished, like, you know, at the end of the day, I can say, wow, I I had this amazing connection with Zach and we did this podcast together and I feel really good about the time that we spent and and hopefully people learn something from listening. And that was a a great experience and and it's gonna go in my, my gratitude journal. But it could just be like, I also got outside twice today for walks and I'm in Minneapolis and it's 50 degrees and that is like relatively warm and mild and just having the opportunity to go outside. Or I saw the first Robin of spring a couple of days ago. It's like, that's going in the gratitude journal and just being able to to focus on what is positive, what's going well and bringing our attention to that. We know that when we focus on more positivity, that it creates more positivity. So just being grateful for where we're at. And it sounds like you've been able to assess and see how much you're accomplishing. It's like, life's pretty good.
0: Yeah, and I, at, the, at the end of the day, what always stops me, what I found is probably the, the best question that I ask because as a questioner, I've learned how to ask good questions, right? And that's one of the things I teach my clients. How do you ask better questions? Because better questions beget better answers. And a question that I've learned to ask myself because I always want to do more. It's never enough for me. But when I want to do something else, the question that always comes up in my mind is, yeah, but at what cost? All right, I want to write another article and I want to stay up late. Or I don't feel like I burned enough calories this week. Let's throw in another training session. Sure, that sounds great. At, but at what cost?
1: That's a great question. And it's
0: usually at the cost of sleep, of energy, again, of irritability. And it's like it's, I don't think that it's worth it. And sometimes I give myself the excuse that, oh, it's just me being lazy, but usually I can reason my way into thinking, no, actually, I should sleep in this morning. I want to jump on the rower for 30 minutes or 45 minutes or do P90X, but the cost is too great. I think I should probably sleep in. And it's taken me a long time to be okay with that.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great perspective to have. And when clients tell me that they're not doing something because they're lazy, I can always find something else that's happening in their life that's a more important priority. And it's just like, well, obviously, this is not the most important priority for you. And maybe you just need to accept that and be okay with it. And then we can decide what are the priorities and where does your focus need to go? Where does your time and energy need to go now? And um, having that self-awareness and just being honest with ourselves is a step in the right direction.
0: Well, uh, speaking of gratitude and gratitude practices, I am completely, supremely grateful that Debbie connected with you in the group and uh, brought you into my world and into the world of all my listeners and, and readers and followers. Because I think that um, this is everything that I believe about productivity and about being intentional. And I'm pretty sure we didn't talk about to-do list apps or specific calendar programs or Trello or, you know, like I said, I love the shiny objects, but I don't think that that's what productivity is about. It's about intentionally knowing what do I want to work towards? What's my why? and being intentional about making sure that your values go on your calendar. So on that note, if somebody is listening today and they've been totally inspired by your work and they think you're a good fitter, they want to learn more, how do they find you?
1: Well... Thanks for asking. Actually, just finding me on LinkedIn. I'm really active there. So hopefully you can link that in in the show notes. My website is optimaresultscoaching.com. And another thing
0: we have in common. I know. I thought about (laughs) that
1: as well. I'm Optima. You optimize. Instagram, Optimal Results, Facebook, Optimal Results Coaching. And I offer a free strategy session so that if you want to book something for 45 minutes to just hyper-focus on on one area that you want to see some improvement in, I'm I'm happy to get connected. Um, And then lastly, I have a six-week online course which um, utilizes mindfulness practices, which we didn't talk a whole lot about, but to using um, mindfulness to, to be more present and connected and um, to facilitate focus and time management skills for uh, productivity and work-life balance. So lots of ways that people can get connected with me and I look forward to connecting with everyone and I look forward to staying in touch with you. I think you and I will have to uh, connect again down the line and and check back and, and see what's going on in each other's lives.
0: I couldn't agree with that more. And I can already say that I would love to have you at some point as a guest in my uh, masterminds that I do with my clients. Uh, this is a new thing that we're doing where you would essentially, it would be like a podcast interview interview, but you have a group and it's just, it's a town hall conversation. Like I would bring in some of my students that are interested in learning more and they ask questions and you solve problems. And uh, you, you would go to the top of my list of uh, an amazing guest to have in one of our next masterminds. So Thank
1: you so much. I appreciate that. I would
0: love that. Excellent. We're going to make sure to put links to everything so people can find you. They can uh, get the free strategy session, connect with you on LinkedIn, all of it's going to be in the show notes. Um, but on that note, I really am grateful that we connected and I was so happy to have you here. And I appreciate the free coaching session. That's really what this was about is I just wanted my own free coaching session because I'm cheap. So <laughs> I, I appreciate you doing that for me.
1: Anytime Zach.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much.
1: All right. Thank you. Take care.
0: I hope you enjoyed today's interview with productivity coach and expert Tamata Torres. If you'd like to access the original show notes, simply visit optimizeyourself.me slash episode 144. And as a final quick reminder, if you would like some support when the new year rolls around, designing the more balanced, more productive, and more fulfilling creative life that you deserve, don't forget to visit optimizeyourself.me slash optimizer to learn more about the options that you and I have to work together come 2023.